Hi guys, this is Malobi, CEO of Pan-African Traders, and you are listening to the Pan-African Traders podcast. On this podcast, we are going to be having interviews and speaking with some experts that are involved with the B2B trade within Africa and the diaspora. Stay tuned for what's up next. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, everyone. This is Malobi from the Pan-African Traders podcast, uh, sponsored by Kadan Kadan. And today I'm speaking with Sidi. Um, she's going to obviously correct the way I'm pronouncing her name if it's incorrect. But um, yeah, I, I met Sidi through Clubhouse, actually, um, in a room. Um, we, we were, I was talking with Goiti, um, who is also in the cannabis space in South Africa. And yeah, we've kept in touch and, you know, she's doing some really interesting things. So I'm really, really looking forward to this conversation. And, you know, the cannabis conversation still is a little bit controversial in some circles. Um, But I think that, you know, whether you are a smoker or not, whether you, you know, believe in it for medicinal reasons or um, more, you know, libertarian reasons, uh, I think it's an interesting conversation nonetheless to have. And I'm really happy to have uh, a guest like Sidi to talk about um, this subject. So welcome, Sidi. Uh, first of all, how are you doing today? How's, you know, how's wherever you are? Where are you, by the way? Uh, thanks. Thanks, Malobi. And yes, you're saying my name correctly. Um, the L-I in Sesotho is pronounced as a D. So thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I'm in Lesotho. Uh, I was traveling a bit over the last few weeks, but I came back home on Monday. So I'm settling in again and just basically picking up work from where I left off. Awesome. And uh, tell us a little bit about Lesotho. You don't have to go into too much details, but you know, some people might not even know what Lesotho is or where it is. Um, so can you talk about maybe um, what it is and how it's different from South Africa? Sure, sure, no problem. So Lesotho is a country, it's an enclave. Um, it is completely surrounded by South Africa. Um, it's an independent country altogether. And it, um, it has the royal family and um, a prime minister. And it is notably one of, one of, or if not the leading country in, across, in Africa and in terms of developments in the cannabis industry. So it's a small country with a population of about 2 million people. And um, it's, it's been going through a lot of interesting times lately, politically, but as well as in terms of um, economic development. And the cannabis industry is one such example. So that is where I'm from. I'm from the capital city called Maseru. And um, it's home, though I did spend some time living and studying in South Africa and in Germany. But then as the cannabis industry really took off in Lesotho, I decided to move back home as that was the only African country where you could gain experience in the commercial cannabis industry at the time. So I've really been learning and growing with the industry as it's been developing. Wow, wow, that's that's super interesting. Um, so that actually leads on to my next question. I was going to ask, you know, what is it exactly that you do? How are you um, currently participating in this cannabis industry? Sure. So initially, when I got involved in the commercial legal industry, I was employed at a law firm 
and clients approached this law firm and I was handed a brief um, that went into assisting uh, these prospective clients to secure a license that would enable them to get into the cannabis industry, specifically the medical cannabis industry. And my task then at that point was really, you know, the admin and the research and liaising with government regarding the license regime and the permits and um, also looking to, you know, the international best practices and what was happening at the UN level and what other jurisdictions were doing in terms of implementing a licensing um, program. So I did that through the law firm where I was employed. And over time, I think my interest in the industry really grew and I found so much more um, to the cannabis industry and began writing more articles and presenting some of my research um, that I had done independently at conferences and seminars. And from then on, I went on to establish my own consulting company that offers legal advice to operators in the cannabis industry, um, both in the private sector as well as the public sector. And in so basically that's the main thing I do do. And then in 2020, I was also asked to be a committee member on the African Union's uh, Expert Committee on Cannabis, which seeks to develop a common African position on cannabis. Well, this is really, really interesting. Um, first of all, I mean, you said you were writing research papers. You said that like... Correct. I was just independently writing my research papers. A lot of people um, wouldn't or haven't done things like this. So, you know, what, what was this research about? Um, well, I know it's around cannabis, but is there anything specific? Sure. I guess what I would find when I was, you know, doing research in the workspace is I maybe started to identify gaps or areas that I was particularly interested in. So I looked into issues relating to um, the banking world and how they view the cannabis industry and what that means for transactions and international trade of cannabis and cannabis-based products. I also have an interest in regional integration and harmonization as well. So from that view, I also looked into, uh, you know, what the prospects would be if, say, African countries or even if we take it, you know, a, a notch down, if we looked at maybe regionally, what would it look like if countries in the Sadak region or the e AC um, had similar laws relating to cannabis and how that could possibly facilitate um, better use of resources and collaboration and also just ease of movement because the laws relating to drugs and cannabis specifically still differ so much. Um, so really, I was really looking at where the gaps were and looking at as well as what my own personal interests were. And that's really what my research has been based around. That's, uh, yeah, that's something that when you mentioned the banking stuff, uh, it's something that I'm very uh, aware of um, working in, in the CBD space. Um, so, you know, uh, my mother, she, she taps into the CBD business a little bit and there was a lot, a lot of red tape, a lot of bottlenecks there in terms of finding the right, you know, merchant account, uh, finding an affordable one, especially as a startup in the space. So 
um, I guess from from your research, um, what did you find when it when it came to you know financial institutions and the cannabis industry, and has that changed over time to today? Um, so what I have found has partially been through my own research, but also providing services to some of the local banks here in Lesotho. And what has been the key issue has been around, I believe it's the correspondent banking um, issue where the local banks have dealings with these international larger banks who uh, still have, um, I don't want to say issues, but legally they still have um, hangups regarding their involvement in cannabis related uh, transactions. Again, because it's still a bit gray in a lot of countries. Um, and then obviously there's other issues relating to the use of the dollar in such transactions because cannabis is still federally illegal. So there is still a lot of red tape and hesitancy. And obviously the fact that the industry has been illegal for so long, it's also, I guess it's also a bit of a transition period to legitimizing the cannabis industry and normalizing deals and, and getting financing and so on, and to also make the banking world comfortable. As we know, the banking world is very conservative. So it's 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 very interesting. However, I think it is it's slowly changing. So again, it also depends on the jurisdiction you're talking about. Um, I believe in Canada there's a bit more leeway because you know across the country cannabis is legal um in some european countries um it you do get some banks that are perhaps more open to dealing with these kind of transactions but majority of them are not um so it, it's, it's a slow process but I, I believe we're getting there because a lot of the research has indicated that the industry is very lucrative so it can't be ignored however it's a question of you know, convincing and liaising with the banking world and hopefully that will lead to more progressive steps from that side as well. Yeah, and I agree. Um, you know, the way things are moving, um, it's it's almost an unstoppable force. And the more other countries legalize it, um, the more it's going to be normalized. And, you know, that's how things change eventually. So. I do think that in the long run, um, we'll start seeing financial institutions being a bit more uh, lenient, but, you know, we'll, we'll play it by ear. Um, you also mentioned that you've got a consulting uh, company. Uh, can you tell us a bit about, you know, what that company does? What are the services? How, how do you help, um, you know, whether it's individuals or um, corporate uh, entities? Sure. Um, so the company is called Wane Solutions and Wane is a play on the Susutu word for cannabis, which is Matekwane. And basically Wane provides legal services relating to the cannabis industry to clients who are typically my clients have been working in the private sector but now and then i also do engage with government officials and policymakers as well um, in terms of legislative reform um, relating to the cannabis industry as well as in the private sector side my work really it's more around compliance assisting clients um, in terms of their applications for licenses and permits as well as assisting them throughout you know their operations in terms of um, making sure that their documentation is always in line with the law and that their procedures and governance are also um, as they should be 
that's, that's interesting. So, um, just a random question as you're talking about, you know, allowing or helping people with their permanent documentations. Um, have you found that there's um, been a massive influx of new business and investors coming into Lesotho um, due to its, you know, more liberal uh, stance on cannabis? Or have you seen maybe it's not really as much as you'd expect, uh, given that, you know, Lesotho is one of the few countries that's, you know, so, um, you know, liberal when it comes to cannabis? Um, I can definitely say that in the beginning, say 2017, 2018, there was a large influx of um, investors coming into the country. And I think that also speaks to where the industry was globally at the time. Um, Canada and a lot of Canadian operators were doing very well and they were expanding globally. And Lesotho also benefited from being the first and only African country at the time where commercial cannabis operations were um, were legal and it was possible to engage in such um, in such uh, operations. So during that period, again, also it was before COVID. So again, the economies of a lot of the countries that were already um, ahead in terms of their cannabis uh, operations, they found an opportunity to invest in Lesotho, and then there were various partnerships between the international companies and the local um, players as well so that was a very exciting time however i think it also there was a lot of havoc as well um you got a lot of people coming in and out um so there was also i think an element of instability and so now we've sort of seen things sort of normalizing um where you know the natural process where a lot of the people that maybe did not have a long-term plan or strategy have sort of um you know been stepping out of the industry so some of the ones that are still pushing ahead are maybe ones that had a clearer vision and the proper strategy and again that gives us a lot of hope in terms of managing uh, a sustainable industry so all in all yes we've seen you know the 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 green rush we've seen the investors flowing into the country um, initially, I think they were mainly from Canada and Israel. Um, however, at this stage, a lot of the local companies are looking to and are already in the process of um, exporting to the EU market as well as Israel. So these relationships also, I think, are, they're also a function of what transactions or what relationships are possible. Um, for example, I do know we do engage a lot with a lot of um, American companies and operators as well. However, the, the federal legality still poses um, a challenge in a lot of ways. So I guess these relationships also go and flow with how the industry and the global landscape um, develops. Yeah, yeah, well said. And, uh, you know, one thing whilst we were talking about that, it, it made me start thinking, you know, we'll talk about big Canadian corporations, American, Israeli, etc. But um, a lot of people have this concern that, you know, a lot of Africans or indigenous people are not really um, able to take part in this industry. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And uh, do you think that, you know, it, it's mainly a funding issue, you know, because it, it's, it's a, a lot of the licenses in different countries are quite expensive. Um, so is it, is it mainly, a, you know, a financing issue that's stopping um, local players from getting into the industry? Uh, I think 
yes, I think definitely the finance is a, a key issue in terms of being able to meet the requirements that are then set by the government. Um, so that is one of the critical ones. Secondly, I think the issue that a lot of African countries are facing is the fact that the a lot of governments have not necessarily encouraged the development of a domestic cannabis industry, which therefore leaves operators in a position whereby they must then seek um, international markets to export to. And so then that obviously leads to the need to develop those relationships in order to ensure that you have a market to sell to. So I think it's really it's finance. It's also the issue of the fact that we don't, then there isn't um, a concerted effort to create domestic markets and to liberalize such domestic markets. So I think those two factors do um, definitely lead to more relationships with um, international partners. And unfortunately, yes, some in some cases there is exploitation and there is um, lack of transparency regarding these relationships and, you know, what their arrangements really entail. Um, some have also been very successful and again because some of the international markets have been at this longer than a lot of African countries we also do benefit sometimes from the know-how that they um, you know contribute to the project as well because they have maybe been trading in cannabis um, related commodities for some time so and again to be an international player and to be competitive at that level you do need to engage with um, obviously people that may have more experience in that line however i do also feel strongly that african countries also need to take better ownership of what it is that we want to gain from the industry because yes it's one thing to be an international global player however i do think that there's a lot of value and a lot of indigenous knowledge that we have not fully tapped into that could also create more value um, for african countries no, I, I, I totally agree. And um, yeah, it's just this interesting uh, situation where, I mean, now I'm just speaking purely from a uh, subjective like opinion. Um, I feel like a lot of African countries are, are seeing this as a way to make money, um, which is fair enough. It's, uh, it's a multi-billion dollar industry, right? So it only makes sense to use it as an opportunity to, you know, make some exports, um, get, generate some revenue for their countries. But um, when it comes to how they, you know, socially uh, view cannabis, they might not actually be very socially open to cannabis. So it's like, then they don't actually want to embrace it domestically. They don't want to legalize it domestically, but they'll legalize it for exports. So it's an interesting situation where it's like they, they're making this um this line this invisible line they're creating it to separate oh, okay well we're okay with growing it just for exports but if it's for local consumption we're, we're not okay with it um would you, would you agree with that or is it a bit more nuanced than that i think generally that is you are correct that is definitely a big challenge and uh, again I think a lot of the developments that we've been seeing across the continent are fueled by um, an economic need to liberalize the cannabis industry rather than it's happening sort of organically the way it has in places like California, 
where um, it, it, it's done in a piecemeal way and it's really been more based around the issues relating to access to cannabis-based medicine and so on and then it grows from there. So I think what we're seeing happening across Africa is a little bit different. It's more driven by economic push factors. Hence, um, many governments may then be looking to create a very narrow pathway to the cannabis industry, which again, it is very narrow and it fails to tap into the other possibilities and opportunities that may also be present. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. And, you know, outside of cannabis, this is, you know, an African problem a lot of the time where, you know, we're just exporting raw materials. Um, we're not adding any value. You know, we're not processing as much. Um, yes, we can make money from exporting in volumes, but really um, how um, other developed nations um, generate more revenue for themselves is by adding value. That's why, you know, the medical pharmaceutical uh, cannabis is, is going to be such a huge industry, already is. Um, but yeah, m- moving moving on, uh, on uh, still on that block. Uh, hemp as well. Um, something that I'm also very passionate about. Um, I don't know if it's something that your um, role um, in the AU committee touches on as well. Um, but, you know, is, is hemp in the conversation um, when you're going to these meetings at the AU? Um, so within the, the, the committee, our main focus so far had been more centered around uh, medicinal use of cannabis. Um, we did touch on some hemp-related um, issues and factors. However, at the time, the mandate was still quite limited in terms of, you know, which aspect are we going to focus on and what the report or advice that is submitted should entail. And so I would say hemp, it did come up. However, um, it ended up being more focused on the medicinal side of the industry. So I think as you know, time goes on, there is definitely going to be more of a discussion around hemp, um, just simply because I, I'm of the opinion that it is you know, one of the lower hanging fruits in terms of tapping into the cannabis industry and its risks are you know, comparatively low compared to maybe other cannabis products, which may have more um, psychoactive components. And that is where I guess the concerns around THC come in. So I do think that hemp will start to feature more in terms of um, the current conversations, but it hasn't really been center stage at this point. Okay, uh, and can, you, can you dig a little bit deeper about, you know, what, what actually this committee is about? Um, what, what do they do? Um, I know you said that, um, you know, there's been conversations around the medicinal use of cannabis, but can you expand on that a little bit? Okay, okay sure. Um, basically, the function of the committee and its purpose um, is to spearhead um, the drafting of the common African position and understanding on cannabis, which will inform national policies as guided by the African Union's plan of action on drug control and crime prevention. So that that's its current mandate. However, um, I believe that we are still very much at the beginning, which is why perhaps we've only really been looking at the medicinal side. However, we've touched on hemp as well. Um, 
again, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm slow, so uh, you're going to need to clarify this for me. But um, what, what does a common African position mean exactly? Um, is it about, okay, can we all agree on um, the legality of cannabis? Should it be legal or not? What, is, what does that common African position actually mean? Correct. So it, it relates to, look, you know, having some sort of consensus on the continent relating to the legality of, of cannabis. Also, the, the definition as well, because, again, if you look at a lot of the laws um, of African countries, there isn't really a distinction between, you know, the different parts of the plant. For example, just a simple one um, in Lesotho as well. Um, in our definition of cannabis, hemp falls into that as well. Therefore, hemp is regulated in the same cumbersome manner as you would um, cannabis that's being used for medicinal purposes. Um, so then some of the, these discussions have been centered around how can that also be amended so that hemp is dealt with perhaps as an agricultural commodity. So it's really around definitions, it's around legality, and it's also been around information sharing and gaining um, insights and, and you know receiving comments and submissions from African member states regarding their approaches and what it is that they're implementing so that we can also get a sense of the direction that the continent is going in and also try to advise um, appropriately depending on what the goals and agendas of the individual member states are as well. Uh, that's, that's super interesting. And, um, you know, I, I hope that, you know, a lot of interesting stuff comes out of uh, the committee. Um, and I, I know that there's people listening right now that actually would find this um, African Union part of the conversation quite interesting. Um, you know, you, you may be, you know, inspiring some, some young ladies as well to, to work with the AU. So I guess uh, one of my questions would be, you know, how is it working with the African Union? And, um, well, what does the committee do? Um, I mean, and, and by that I mean, um, how do you meet? Do you go to the, uh, Addis Ababa? Do you have Zoom meetings? Um, how is it on a very, you know, physical level? What, what do you actually do? Okay. Well, I mean, to be honest, it has been a bit quiet on that front over the last year. So as a committee member, we would be called in and, and contacted as per a, a brief that we would receive. And then we normally had these meetings. So again, this committee's work, we started in 2020. And at the time with COVID being what it was, our meetings were all virtual and we would connect um, through virtual mediums and submit or, or share information um, through emails and combine our documents that way. So it's really been um, maybe ad hoc. So in that way, I, I'm pretty sure that its functioning has been perhaps different to other more permanent um, bodies within the African Union. And again, the people within the, the other committee members um, are also experts from various sectors, including the AU itself, UN agencies and civil society and so on. So you had a group of people that were also pulled from different um, bodies across the world. Um, and it was a small group. I believe there were maybe like 11 or 12 of us. So we were still able to contribute and do work under this committee while um, 
carrying on under our different uh, with our different work and, and projects so for that reason i think it might be a bit different to what somebody else's insights would be that works permanently within the structures of the African Union. Yeah, but nevertheless, it is, you know, really, really interesting. And, you know, I I was really excited to hear that, you know, they're getting more people, um, especially uh, younger people, um, into this space because a lot of the time it's, you know, all the generations that might not see things from a certain perspective. So, um, you know, it's, it's really encouraging to see that. Um, so I, I guess I, I wanted to, you know, before we start uh, wrapping things up, get to know from your experience, what, what some of the main challenges um, in the cannabis space? And then what are some of the main opportunities that you found uh, both with your previous experience, consulting, etc., you know, how people can tap into the space. So if we can maybe just cover some challenges and opportunities in, in Africa specifically. Okay. I think in Africa, because it's, um, you know, such a new legally, such a new industry that has now, you know, um, gained legal acceptance, I think there are lots of opportunities relating to um, learning more about indigenous strains that are found in the different countries. So I think there's definitely a lot of develop, a lot of opportunities on the genetic side and research and cultivation. Um, I think there is also a lot of opportunities in terms of the provision of support services to the operators within the cannabis space, because you find that again not everyone is going to have a license and not everyone is going to be able to operate from seed to sale however the industry is quite unique and it does need people that are specifically conversant with its dynamics and its demands so i think they are opportunities both hands-on but also within the um, ancillary services that cannabis operators would need such as um, being a lawyer such as myself that specializes in such um, transactions as well as financial advice to be able to assist cannabis uh, operators to um, to to access capital because as we touched on the banking challenges that is one of the crucial issues that cannabis operations have is you know how do they access capital if they're not able to apply for traditional loans and so on and also other key issues relating to marketing of cannabis products because in a lot of jurisdictions you're not allowed to market them the way you would with other normal products so there's definitely scope in the different um you know uh, sectors relating to cannabis and the challenges again I would say a lot of the challenges I think are still very much centered around the regulatory frameworks because again that's what lets you know what you can and can't do and a lot of African countries are perhaps looking to develop or establish some sort of a cannabis um, industry particularly now post-covid um, and looking at the opportunities that the cannabis industry presents in terms of uplifting and, and sparking, um, you know, a more um, economic drive and to create jobs, as the South African president has said on numerous occasions, um, that they are looking to the cannabis industry to boost the economy post-COVID and to um, create more jobs in South Africa. So, but the challenge again, it's the legal framework that still needs to give way and uh, make it possible to, to achieve those. 
that's that's well said and that, that was really interesting um when the south african president said that um you know never never would i thought in a, in a long time that uh, an african president would be so uh, intentional about you know cannabis and, and using it to empower the the country so that, that was a really interesting development um so i guess just to just to wrap things up um what there was, there was a paper that was done by some, um, I can't remember what the company, uh, organization was, they're from South Africa, um, you might be able to remind me, um, but they did like this um, very well thought out, um, full document um, on, you know, how cannabis should be legalized across um, Africa. Do, do you know the one I'm talking about? I cannot remember the name. Uh, uh, okay. Um, I'll probably remember it sooner or later. Uh, okay. uh, what green something? Uh, Fields of green. Fields of green. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They wrote this thing. Uh, can you can you talk a little bit about it? I don't know if you you know the the document I'm talking about. Um, I do. Um, I think I do. Um, they they developed quite a high level um, manifesto. Um, yes. relating to how cannabis can be legalized and it was quite thoroughly researched and it already made a lot of proposals for hemp um, and for um, medicinal cannabis as well as for adult use as well however because I don't I haven't looked at it recently I'm a bit reluctant to delve too much into it however yes I believe it's the fields of green um, cannabis manifesto that's fine. That's fine. Um, in that case, I'll just recommend because um, myself has been a while, but I remember, you know, for those people that are listening, maybe you want to learn a little bit more about the industry, you learn a bit more about different perspectives, and you know, you know, you want to go through a document that's been well re- researched, um, and they have a really interesting proposal um, on how things can be legalized across Africa. Um, just Google um, "free fields of green cannabis manifesto." somewhere um, because you know when I was speaking to a lot of people in the industry um, a lot of people were re- you know referring this document to me so honestly um, recommend this book but with that being said um, CD this has been amazing it's been a really um, smooth conversation um, you've dropped uh, a lot of interesting information um, and yeah hopefully you know as things go on um, hopefully we can have a part two of this and you can share as things keep on developing um i intentionally didn't want this conversation to just be about oh you know why why aren't they legalizing or why are why they should have legalized i didn't want to make it more of a moral conversation i really wanted to understand you know what's going on and what are the opportunities what are the challenges um and and you really didn't thank you so much for joining me on this podcast um and do you have any uh, final words before we wrap this up Thanks, 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 Malobi. Thank you for inviting me on. Um, I, I have maybe just a few words that I would like to add, and it, it really relates to encouraging more people to be active and to seek out more information relating to the cannabis industry and also to participate. Um, again, I don't know to what extent in, in other African countries whether or not they do allow um for submissions in terms of um, public participation requirements relating to enacting legislation. 
but I would really just encourage more people to participate and to make submissions when such opportunities arise because I think again the worst thing that can happen is if we have policymakers making laws for us in a vacuum whereas I do believe that there are a lot of people that are passionate and are knowledgeable about the cannabis industry locally that can also offer very good perspectives so it's really just encouraging more activism and research and engagement and also just normalizing conversations about the plant again i think that's the only way we're going to move from a position where there's a lot of taboo and stigma around it to it being recognized as a legitimate um, commodity and an avenue to um uh, to assist african countries to you know to develop their economies and to include cannabis in such developments no, well said. Um, you know, there there isn't uh, enough activism around the space um, for people that you know want it legalized. Um, there's a lot of um, you know beer parlor talk and, and you know people just you know doing their thing, um, but there isn't enough. At least I can speak from Nigerian perspective. There are people doing things here and there in pockets, um, but it's not very well organized. And I think that if people do want um, this to be, you know, legalized across Africa or within their individual countries, um, there needs to be more, you know, civil society action, more activism, um, more, you know, just just general, just pushing the, the, the narrative, educating people on it, um, on the economic benefits, you know, taking it out of the illegal market, you know, for securities reasons, um, talk about the medicinal, so many different reasons. So. If you are someone that's actually passionate about this crop and you do want to see it legalized, um, you know, you do have to go out there and do the work um, because, you know, the, the governments are not necessarily going to do the work for you, especially if it's a pretty conservative or a fundamentalist uh, leaning government. So, yeah, well, well said, well said. And um, I stand by 100% what you're saying. So, with that being said, um, I'll wrap things up there. Thank you again, CD, for the time. This is the African Podcast, and we will see you guys on the next episode. Thank you. And thank you, Melobi. Bye. Bye.